Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, and today I have Cliff Wilson back on the show. And as an initial disclaimer, I made a mistake on recording on my end, which led to us not being able to edit the quality of the audio to be as the highest standard as it normally is. So I just want to add that disclaimer that when you come to listen to this interview, it might not sound as crisp and as clear as our usual audio. I should not make this mistake again. I apologize, but bear with it because it's a fantastic discussion where we dig into some of Cliff's programming philosophies that he says, and to quote him, they're a little bit off the wall, different to maybe what you see put out there in the evidence-based sphere or what the bros are doing, or maybe there's some things that he's taken from the bros and from the evidence-based sphere, and it's helping propel his clients forward. It was very, very interesting and elucidating. So look forward to that chat. And as a reminder, we are affiliated with Mass, the research review, because they are fantastic. The guys over there really keep you as a coach or client, someone very invested in their own results or their clients' results, up to date with the latest literature that's supporting strength, hypertrophy, all those aspects, and it is invaluable as a resource. So I highly recommend it. We highly recommend it, Revive Stronger, and that you can find linked in the bio as well. But without further ado, let's get into the chat with Cliff. Like I said, bear in mind the audio isn't up to our usual standard. Still a fantastic chat. Cheers, guys. Hi guys, welcome back to the Revised Stronger Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Cliff Wilson back on the show. Uh, the last time was three months ago, Cliff, so it hasn't been all that long. Uh, how are things on your end is kind of how's, I think people are, well, at least I'm very invested in kind of what you're doing as an individual. How's your health? How's your training? How's that progressed since the last time? Health is much better. Training is continuing to improve. I'm a steady four days a week now, like intense four days. Um, like it actually feels good to go in there and like push myself, you know, once again, um, everything's going well, the season's fully underway and we're really rolling. I, I have, um, I don't know. I, I, I made, I made a post about it at one point, but it was like a lot of my best competitors had started to retire. You know, it's like, I, I kind of like, I'd been coaching them for like, you know, some of them eight, nine years. And so, um, you start to wonder, like, did I just get a hold of a good batch and I'm never going to be able to recreate this? But I have like a lot of really good. In fact, all four of my pro card winners this year are first time competitors. Um, nice. uh, and so it's like, you know, I have like a really good group of young people, early to mid 20s that are just going crazy this year. So it's it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> I was just uh, talking to Joe Jeffrey yesterday, who uh, is uh, has his podcast with Austin Stout and your name came up. Because you were you did a little bit of peaking for for Austin, am I right as well? Yeah, I, I walked him in for maybe about the last six weeks or so. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, I just saw some of his pictures on. I think it was Facebook is where I saw them, uh, which is weird because and you don't see much on Facebook normally. <laughs> and he looked <laughs> he looked crazy incredible. But uh, yeah, it's really cool to to see that. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason you've stuck around so long, and uh, you haven't like just fell by the side because you know what you're doing and you get great results. So. Uh, it's nice to hear that also you're able to get into the gym and kind of push yourself now because was there a, at all part of you like psychologically that found that hard in terms of i guess there's two ways you could look at it one is you really wanted to push hard so it was kind of hard to hold back but also was there any part of you that was like you don't want to risk making anything worse so it kind of felt like worried to push harder yeah you know in the early stages of being sick it was like I kind of had like the same mentality that I always, I'll just push through. Right. And then I saw that that was detrimental. So then I spent years there just like backing off. 
and then it kind of became to the point where like i had to like tell myself it's okay to try this out um but man once you know if you enjoy training if you if you really enjoy training the training is the fun part you know what i mean like bodybuilding is the fun part so it's like once you can sort of just remove the brakes a little bit and just go in there and turn loose then it's then it's a good time um because i i i've met a few bodybuilders over the years where it's like they don't seem to actually enjoy the training component of it and it i'll be honest it makes me and i'll bring it up to them too i say this to them like it makes me question if this is the sport for you like this is supposed to be the fun part the hungry yeah. part is not not the fun part you know <laughs> what's the saying i like i've i don't know where this came from but i've heard it said a few times i think it's it's a really good saying it's like i don't kind of i don't uh bodybuild because uh, what do, what's the saying it's something along the lines of basically i bodybuild because i train i don't train to bodybuild it's like most of us came into this loving the training part and then it was like oh i can actually do this competitively and it can be like something i actually do yeah yeah i mean i i think all the best bodybuilders have that component of um their, their natural setting is like 100 and then they have to learn to reel themselves back in a little bit yeah. for <laughs> yeah. sure and uh that i guess on the topic of training that's something that I, I wanted to dive into with you because there's an instagram post uh you kind of put out and you talked about some of these kind of programming philosophies for muscle growth and you met you had the i think i quote you methods are significantly off the wall and uh, i was just very intrigued and i i kind of posted on that i made a comment just being like i'd love to talk about these to to hear a little bit more because quite clearly i mean with the the client you had there he saw really great results and uh you have had many clients see great results so there's there's something good going on and if they're off the wall maybe there's something that other people can learn myself included so yeah i i don't know where to start specifically um, but I'll yeah. let you go. And then maybe I'll have some questions off the back of where you go from. Yeah. You know, over the years it's, it's occurred to me, I've kind of become more known as I'm a nutrition guy. Um, and, and it's interesting because I do the programming, you know, people, people see the, the pros that I coach and the world champion. I do the programming for 85 to 90% of my clients. Um, and I always have, and uh, I, 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 as I was saying to you before we turn the camera on, is that like when I first started coming into coaching, the dietary stuff that I was doing was drastically different than what everyone else was doing at the time, you know, 13, 13 years ago. And I was like ready to fight everybody about everything. Uh, you know, it's like, I'm doing this different than I would argue on social media and in person and anybody that wanted to argue, I'm going to argue. Um, and I actually started to do that more with training as well. Um, you may not remember this, may, maybe you will, but a lot of people probably won't. Is that like you remember there was that period where powerlifting being incorporated into bodybuilding was very popular? Um, I was one of the first people to actually like shoot that down. I don't know if you remember, but I published an article on T Nation that became pretty popular, and it was called like um, "Why Powerlifting Is Killing Your Bodybuilding." And um, I remember. I yeah, I, I had a ton of rebuttals to it. Like Lane Norton made a rebuttal and uh, multiple people made rebuttals to it. But, um, you know, I'm kind of proud to say that a lot of the research has started to show what I was saying. Like, so um, like in that argument, just to give you an idea, I've always had this passion for training, but I've always kind of felt like people look. <laughs> Sorry. You disagree. <laughs> no, no, put them on here. Right, no, um, I, I think that like, I've always felt like with training, people have the vision on the wrong things. 
Um, so, for example, do you remember when Brad Schoenfeld uh, posted uh, or, or published that study showing that um, I believe it was three sets of 10 produced the same hypertrophy as uh, seven sets of three, if I remember yeah. right off the top of my head. That's and exactly the powerlifting, the power, the pro powerlifting group was like, see, you can grow just the same with powerlifting. And I'm like, did you actually even read the study? When you go into the notes section, a significant number of people had to pull out of the seven sets of three group because of injuries and nagging injuries. And also the seven sets of three group reported feeling beat up by the end of the study. Um, whereas the three sets of 10 were asking to do more. And I think anybody who's ever been in the gym will tell you, if you go in and do three sets of 10, you're going to be like, this is nothing. So that produced the, you know, these two groups produce the same amount of hypertrophy. And what do you think, what group do you think has the room to just add more volume over the course of time and more work? Um, and so I kind of feel like that's always the case with training. And then, um, you know, as we were saying, I started to kind of get in the mode of arguing with people in, in training the same mode, the same way that I was with nutrition. But you know, as we talked about, I got, I had some health issues the last few years and I kind of just got out of the mode of talking about it. And really, I, I was, I didn't even have the energy to argue with people. I was like, I'm just going to do what I do with my clients, let the results speak for itself. Um, you know, fortunately I was at the point in my career where I didn't need to go out and fight the world to prove myself. I, I kind of already had like a rolling business of, you know, proof, you know, proof of what I was doing. Um, but as I watch, I kind of like see this new era of, you know, and, and I hate to always pick on like the science-based community. Um, but the science-based community, in my opinion, tends to have these like blindside biases where they point to the bro side and you know they say you guys do this when they don't realize they're doing something almost similar just in a different manner and so i, I see this new area of science-based lifters that i think are just focused on entirely the wrong things um and so you know a, a lot of my my training principles um much like the the nutrition aspect are, are really individualized and while they get difficult to talk about, I think that, um, I don't know, I think it's something worth talking about, truthfully. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it's funny that study, I, I literally brought it up on a podcast with Pascal just recently. And uh, you, you remembered it exactly correctly. I think I said it wrong, uh, but that's exactly what it was. And uh, like, that's also something I've used in the past to like argue against, like why like combining powerlifting and bodybuilding isn't the best recipe for the, the most maximal progress. Yeah, you might be able to do it. But again, really specifically powerlifting surely isn't going to grow the most muscle. There's a reason why like the biggest bodybuilders aren't doing this. So it's great to have someone like yourself who I think sometimes it's easier, myself included, to not think outside the box. Like you, you have a wealth of experience. You think outside the box. You don't just take a study for what it is. You kind of dig into it and you have your own thoughts and opinions on it, which I think is important. Yeah, I don't think a lot of the, even these um, science-based lifters, I don't think they actually like get into the studies a lot of times. They don't actually look at the data tables. They don't, um, you know, they just they just read the conclusions. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, uh, well, you know, you know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I, I've said this before, but you have your bro group and you have your science-based group. And for some reason they treat things, training and nutrition very differently. Um, what I mean by this is your, your bro guys, right? They're going to be like at 1220, I eat three ounces of chicken and I eat, you know, eight ounces of sweet potato. And then at like 225, I eat this and they're really micromanaging their diet. 
And then when it comes to training, they're like, don't even think about it. Just fucking lift, bro. Just go hard. So it's like, why are you micromanaging this aspect? And then you're like, you know, just letting it fly on this end. Um, and then the more science, the science-based community, lifter community, they're like, timing doesn't matter. Uh, food choice doesn't matter. Uh, just hit macros and let it go. And then they're like, I rest exactly 98 seconds between sets. And, you know, I must hit an RPE 9.2, you know, it's like, uh, I'm like, why are you micromanaging this aspect and just letting this diet just wing? I don't know why they have like these really opposite approaches to these two things, but you know, I, I really, I, I mean, like most things, I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. And, um, I guess when it comes to training, I guess the first thing I should point out is that, um, even, I coach a lot of first-time competitors. You know, as I just said, I I, <clears throat> I always take on first-time competitors that I think are r- ready to go to that next level. You know, they want to go to that next level almost immediately. Um, I, I'm usually not going to take on somebody that's like, I just want to work, you know, compete for fun. Um, <clears throat> the fun part comes with doing well, in my opinion. But um, I try to, you know, I give more management, micromanagement to newer competitors. Um, but my goal is to always walk them along to become an advanced competitor. And what I mean by that is, uh, as their coach, I'm never going to be in their skin. I don't know what they feel like day to day. And what I mean by that is, you know, I can't tell them exactly what foods are going to be the best for them. Uh, you know, I will give much stricter recommendations for a first time competitor because they don't know what they're doing, you know? Um, but I don't know what foods they like. I don't know if potatoes bloat them. I don't know if, you know, I I don't know how they digest broccoli. You know, there's a lot of these things where only they're going to know this. So I got to give my athletes room to, if I'm going to treat them like advanced athletes, I've got to give them room to operate, right? I kind of like make sure I set up these boundaries where they can't go out. But then this, this space here is their operating space. And likewise with training, um, I can't always tell them how hard they should push on a set. And uh, I can't always tell them how many days off they'll need in a particular week. I don't know. I don't know if they're sleeping poorly. I don't know if they're having marital issues. I don't know if they're stressed out over work. Those things are going to impact how they're recovering. And so me telling them that they always need to train with this certain level of intensity, that's foolish because some weeks they have it, some weeks they don't, depending on what's going on in life. And so I try to give recommendations on those things, but I want them to learn to manage those things because those are things that I'm not in their skin every day. I don't know how to, uh, I don't know how they're feeling. And so I try to treat diet and training similarly in those regards. I really like that kind of building self-efficacy in in the client basically so that because like you said you can't be in the gym with them to make the best decisions and calls for them and even if you were there they're in their own bodies they know what's going on so they can make those kind of best calls for themselves so but from the start they probably don't know what to look for so it's great that you kind of are there and able to educate them to understand how then to manage those things yeah you know and i think that um there, there's it's interesting because you see it all the time in other sports too, right? College coaches have a hard time going to the pros because they try to micromanage the pros and it never works. They lose the locker room really quickly. Um, <clears throat> and so I try to, I try to be versatile. You know, I try to like 
I try to actually, when I coach a client, I try to ask myself, like, what level equivalent are there? Is this like a, the version of a high school athlete? Is this a college athlete that we're dealing with? And is this the pros? And I, I'm a basketball fan. So one thing I always say is like, Steve Kerr can't always tell Steph Curry what's a good shot. He just can't. You know, he, he tries to instill solid principles. He draws up plays that, has, uh, that have options. But a lot of times college coaches, right, they'll draw up plays that have options, but they're like, when you get the ball here, you shoot it. You know, and um, the college players do that. They catch the ball there and then they shoot it. Um, but Steph Curry, you know, he draws up these plays that have the options. And then he's got to trust that Steph Curry is a, a, a knowledgeable, um, experienced athlete he's got to make those decisions for himself when he's in the game. And that's kind of what I try to do in the gym. I try to set up sound principles um, and educate them on things to look for. And then I trust them to make the shots day to day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's almost a little bit like setting parameters to auto-regulate within uh, based off how they're doing in that, in that moment, which makes sense. Yeah, for the the listeners are going to be really interested in kind of what uh, what you class is off significantly off the wall. So that I don't know if there's anything that springs to mind when you hear that and when you think about what you do versus what you see maybe generally done out there. Uh, what are some of the things you think are a little bit different that you end up programming? Yeah, I, I mean, so first off, I see that um, okay, the, the you know before. Um, 2010 to 2015 ish you were looking at um very load increased focused training due to the powerlifting influence right you know if you're not adding five pounds to the bar on your squat every week then you're doing something wrong and now there's this hyper focus on rpe and volume you know and um to me okay there there have been studies coming out that are showing uh, what are appropriate levels of volume? You know, a lot of times, it, it, a lot of studies are showing, I don't know, anywhere from 10, actually probably wider, like eight to 15 sets per week per muscle group. But once again, when you go into the data tables, I mean, it's all over the map. You have some people that are hyper responding, you know, some people that are losing muscle um, and it's just all over. Um, and years of coaching athletes have definitely showed me that individual tolerance for, for volume is so wide ranging. Um, and I also see that someone's tolerance for volume will change over the course of time. You know, if you, if you build up volume slowly over the course of the time, I, I you can handle more volume. So it depends on where those people were at going into the study in the first place, um, what they were training like. And as far as RPE, there's so much individual subjectivity there. Uh, you know, I do like the reps and reserve notion of, you know, within, um, you know, one to three reps of failure. And a lot of research on that regard shows that, you know, maybe training to failure all the time isn't appropriate, but some people do respond better than others to failure training. Uh, I mean, we've seen that like Dorian Yates and other, you know, other guys of his kind, like just going to failure all the time seems to work very well. So this is where, honestly, I try not to program specific reps and reserve RPE um, amounts for my clients. I give, I give volume amounts, but I even tell them they have the option to add and remove sets as they see fit based on how they feel. Um, what I'm trying to dictate is certain flows of their training. Um, 
So first of all, if we're looking at um, someone that is just, so if we want to bring up like lagging muscle group, for example, um, lagging muscle group, you may be looking at a couple of things. One, they just might have a little bit uh, less fiber, muscle fiber density in that particular area. You know, they just don't have as, you know, as many muscle fibers, muscle cells in that particular area. Nothing you can do about that, right? Um, but in my opinion, the thing I've encountered over the course of years is the reason that most people have a weak muscle group, not necessarily weak strength-wise, but weak development, um, is because they aren't actually usually engaging that area. And when they lift for that area, the tension does not go to that muscle group. Um, and so the biggest thing that I try to do to help them grow is if they have, if first off, if they have areas that are strengths, you just train pretty standard a variety of rep ranges, focus on load increases. Of course, effort has to be there and then a moderate amount of volume. But for people that, you know, everybody has weak areas, what I try to do then is we need to figure out how to improve engagement in that area and actually get the tension to go to those places. And I don't think a lot of people are looking at that. They And I don't hear, and then when they look at it, they seem to take um, approaches that are are not helpful, in my opinion, when they try to like bring up areas that are weaker areas. Um, and I, I'm not sure if you've seen anything of that, of that similarly, but uh, only a few people I see are really talking about that. Yeah, I guess it's, um, I, I, I agree with you that the discussion has gone to like, I guess it's been there for a long time, like failure or not failure. Or it's kind of like intensity versus volume, if we put it into like simple terms like yeah. that. And it's funny to just see it kind of come and go. And like you said, <laughs> like there's general recommendations as a like science-based, like, or an evidence-based kind of educator that you can give, but you have to then caveat it. Like this is a start, like Brad's, Brad Schoenfeld's very good at this. Like this is a starting point then see how you get on with it. The trouble is so many people don't know how to navigate that. And that's the issue. And I've similarly seen with your, like you said, like some people just do way better with like less or more and it can change over time as well. And this is where if people get stuck into like following certain paradigms, they just get lost, <laughs> not, not seeing the best results. And then the same there when people are trying to bring up lagging areas, again, they immediately normally go to like intensity or volume and like you're mentioning, like technique is the thing, uh, kind of, I guess, technique and some other bits that you might talk about is like, that's the thing to come to first before anything else. Yeah, yeah. And, and over the course of my career, I've come to realize that like what is actually happening in the gym is the most important thing, not necessarily what's happening on the paper. Um, and, you know, of course, so first off, I'm going to use myself as an example. Anybody who's like seen my physique is like, I'm very triceps heavy my chest is weak. Uh, it's not a coincidence. <laughs> so, you know, over the early part of my coaching career, my lifting career, you know, I was like, my chest is weak. I got to bring it up, train it harder, add more sets. And my triceps just keep getting bigger. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, um, it, and so, you know, when you, when I started examining why that is, I have like real life, uh, I had moments where I was like, oh my God, this is very clear why it's happening from my real life. And then you see things that echo that in the research. So what, for example, it's like, there's a reason that my triceps are big and my, my chest is not. So one of the things I use with clients is ultra high rep training. Um, I do a lot of work in the 20 to 40 rep range. Um, and, and 
<laughs> oh, they do. They absolutely do. And they push back sometimes. And I'm like, do you want to do this or not? Like, you know, like, do you want to grow? Um, so there's a reason my triceps are big. I played basketball from grade school through college. And everything in basketball is a triceps extension. I'm dribbling, I'm shooting, I'm dribbling, I'm shooting, and occasionally I'm pushing another guy, right? Um, and it's all tricep extension. And thousands and thousands and thousands of tricep extensions with no weight. But I'm building that neural coordination. Uh, I've developed this, you know, these motor units are ready to fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so then when I go into the gym for the first time and I perform a loaded triceps extension, uh, the motor units are fully engaged and all of that tension goes to my triceps. Every bit of that tension goes to my triceps. But then I try doing a press, which is like an unnatural movement in basketball. You're never pressing anything in basketball. And so my triceps naturally engage. So then, then I see this happening. Right. And I like, I go to the biggest, chested guy in the gym as a young trainee and i'm like what do i do for my chest and he's like heavy barbell bench press and i'm like ah of course so i'm knocking out sets of four <laughs> to six and barbell bench press uh but then when you look at the research uh i'm not sure if you've seen the, the research on this the heavier the load the, the the lighter the load the more control the individual have over which muscle group is actually doing the lifting the heavier the load becomes, the more your body is going to defer to its natural neurological tendencies. So as I put on this heavier load, my, I mean, I've essentially taken out any chance that my pecs are going to do any of the work. <laughs> so, um, so it just becomes bigger and bigger triceps over the course of time. So what I need to do is I've had thousands and thousands of reps for triceps. I need to give my pecs a chance to catch up on these reps and actually like build this neural coordination to be actually get a, be able to let my pecs develop this, this neural coordination to get these motor units to fire. So when I lift a weight, the pecs actually take that tension. Um, because if, as I keep, as I keep adding more and more weight, then it's just getting robbed by my triceps. The tension is, you know, getting deferred to the other areas. And so, when I have these weaker areas for a client, honestly, um, sometimes people just have poor neurological connections. Like you can, you can honestly spot it. Like, uh, I mean, maybe some of the newer guys to lifting don't know who Doug Miller is, but if you've ever seen any Doug Miller training videos, when you watch him train, you see every muscle group just engaging to the max. His form isn't even like textbook good, but you see he's hitting the muscle group that he wants to hit so fully. And then you can see a lot of guys that are naturally thinner and you look at them and they're like, man, I don't even see that muscle group engaging at all. It's like a bicep curl, you know, it's like, how is he not even engaging his biceps on a curl like that? So a lot of times I like high rep training for unresponsive muscle groups. And this does two things, right? So the research does also show that even sets up to 30 reps, if they're taken to failure or very close to failure, failure, they'll produce the same amount of growth as, you know, the eight to 10 rep range. So one, you're getting growth for the first time because you're actually engaging it on a set of 30. And then the other thing is you're actually developing yourself for the future to be able to make your heavier loads more effective. So, uh, you know, cause you're getting your reps in, so to speak. So it's like over the course of time, and this is a lengthy process, but it's one of the reasons like 
I have a lot of clients, you know, and I don't want to like toot my own horn here, but it's like one of the reasons I have a lot of clients that I can take from first time competitor to, you know, pro and then to pro and then to competing on the world stage is because we don't stall after eight years of training. And I see a lot of guys, they don't seem to actually improve. And I think one of the reasons is that they get stuck in this mode where they don't, um, you know, it, these high reps, we do them a lot in the beginning. And then actually I don't need to do as many of them over the course of their career because then their, their heavy loads become more and more and more effective with time because they're actually loading it properly because of, they've developed that neural coordination. This makes a lot of sense. I think uh, I've heard James Hoffman call them like motor morons. <laughs> People just who don't like, can't seem to like control any of their muscle fibers particularly well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I even had it actually, I have uh, my right calf is smaller than my left calf. Uh, it's still that way. They've both grown, but my, I can't contract. I, I used to not be able to contract my right calf easily at all. Whereas my left, I could just contract it at will whenever I needed to. And so it made complete, it's kind of uh, exactly saying to what you're pointing out here is like, I just, if I can't contract a muscle and use it, even if I'm training them both the same, it's just not going to be growing. And uh, it's really interesting to think, yeah, the higher rep range is like, it just intuitively, you can even think about that where you just have more control and you can concentrate more. Whereas if it's heavy, you're already like under load and the body's already going to kind of find the easiest way out almost immediately. I don't know if there's anything there as well with Obviously, fast switch muscle fibers tend to hypertrophy more. There may be going to be stronger muscle groups to use, slower ones, potentially smaller, less hypertrophy available in them. And that's where maybe, not to say this is exactly what's going on, because we don't have good literature to support like high reps train preferentially the slow twitch muscle fibers versus low reps to the, the fast switch ones. But it kind of it kind of lines up a little bit with that as well. Uh, but I really like the idea that you propose. Like I think a lot of people do shy away from those higher rep ranges because, I mean, again, the research shows they're more uncomfortable and all of this. But uh, if you haven't ever tried that, especially for a laggy muscle group, uh, and for the reasons you suggest, too, I think is a great idea. Oh, it's it's um, and, and it, it's boring. You know, it's boring and it's it's hard and painful. It, it somehow manages to combine boring and painful at the same time. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, like, you know, even for myself, another area that I have I've always had trouble engaging is um, side delts. And so, like, I'll even do something like I'll just I'll do. Um, what I did for a while, and I don't need to do it as much anymore because now actually, you know, when you're talking about getting back in the training, I'm only training four days a week, but I think that I actually, I might be as big as I've ever been just because of the groundwork that I've laid over the years. Um, and I felt like I was actually hitting a nice stride right before I had some health issues, but like I used to go into the gym and I would have like a normal training day, right. Where I'm doing a lot of laterals overhead presses, but then my second delt day, um, my second delt day of of the week was just six sets of 30 on dumbbell lateral raises. And like my first, my first set would just be five pounders and I would come up and I would like, so what I would do is I would pause it and I would actually just let the tension sit on my rear delts, you know, because like, I don't think a lot of people actually get like tension on their side delts at the fully lifted contracted point. You know, it's like usually like a, a hoist up and then a free fall down to the ground. Yeah. Um, usually I, they're probably getting the highest tension about at this angle. Right. And then it's a hoist up there. Um, so I would actually like under control, lift a five pounder, let it sit for a moment in the right spot, let the tension gather. And then I would lower it back down. And I don't, I don't, I don't um, start the eccentric movement until the tension has gone to the area that I wanted to go. But six sets of 30 is a lot of practice reps. Um, burned like hell, pumped like hell, 
but then when I would go do my sets of eight to 12, you know, three, four days later, um, I could actually feel it with it with a more significant load because I was, you know, really starting to engage that area. So, I mean, th- those are some of the outside of the wall things that I'll do with clients is ultra high reps and also um, repeated motions because sometimes you just need practice at a movement, you know, and people don't think of it this way, but uh, you know, there's a reason golfers take so many reps with a same motion. There's a reason quarterbacks take same motion pitchers, basketball players, it's reps. And sometimes I think guys don't spend enough time just becoming good at a movement. And, you know, some of my clients hate it, but it's not uncommon for me to program five, six sets of 30 um, or 10 sets of 20. Like they may have only 12 sets for a muscle group in a, in a session. And 10 of them are the same exercise, but I'll do it because you will really discover some new things by about set seven. Um, Because as some of your traditional patterns start to fatigue at set five or set six, then all of a sudden you start to, your body starts to search for other ways to get this lift done. And you start to discover some new things at sets seven through 10. And so, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying that's like the always, they're always going to be training like that, but I try to set things up where they get out of their comfort zone. They try some new things because then, you know, a year later, two years later, then when they're in the gym and I set these parameters and they have this operating room where they can make those calls, um, they can decide what they've liked, you know, from the things I've thrown at them. And so, um, you know, sometimes I may just give them on purpose a generic, sometimes I may indicate, right, narrow stance leg press or wide stance leg press. But then sometimes I tell them when I just put leg press, it's, you know, it's your choice. Um, I want you to make that call. Or, you know, I may say sumo squat. Um, And sometimes if I just say squat, you know, if it just says squat, go with the one that you like. And so over the course of time, I'm going to still give them specifics, but they're going to get fewer and fewer specifics from me because I've thrown so many things at them. They can now make these calls that suit their body well. Yeah, that makes sense. Like you're, so many people are afraid to almost experiment and just settle for the norms and doing what, I don't know, they see out there and just following those specifics. And you're essentially, push, like you said, pushing them outside their comfort zone, getting them to try things they might not have tried on their own so they can actually discover what truly works for them best and then they've learned that and now you can be and they know what that feels like maybe for themselves so now you can let them go with it yeah you know you know can i uh also share a story real quick that was like one of the earlier moments um you know i used to be and i've mentioned this even with like uh with diet right i used to be um real by the book like i didn't want to deviate from what the science said about things and this was like in the early stages of my coaching career and then as I kind of started to branch out a little bit, I was a little more reluctant to do it with training. Um, and I was real, you know, I was micromanaging every little detail. And then I started to realize something is it seemed like, now when I say my, my best clients that I would coach, I don't mean always the freaks. A lot of times the freaks, but not always. It was the guys that even the, the, if they didn't have this like initial wow factor to them, but there's certain guys that they just seem to continually grow. Um, and I think you can point to a few guys where it's like, you know, even if their genetics don't strike you as wow, it seems like they're always just like making improvements. 
And um, the few cases where that was, it was the guys where they would say, well, well, I followed your plan, you know, three days. And then I had just two days where I was just kind of doing what I wanted to do. And it would frustrate me as a coach, you know. Um, but then I started to realize that these guys always did wild things. Um, it's like they had this intuition of just, I'm just going to do something crazy. And so one of the first times that um, I experienced that was with a guy named Jeremy Coleman. I'm, I'm not sure what he's up to now. This was like probably like back in 2012. I went to go work out with him. I coached him and he became an IFPA pro at the time and a really good one. He actually won the Kentucky NPC Kentucky muscle show at like as a natural. Um, and I remember he goes, uh, I go, I'll let you call the leg workout today. Why don't we do that? He goes, okay. He goes, why don't we start with something called the gauntlet? And I was like, oh, all right, what is that? And he goes, um, we do the leg press. He goes, we do leg press. And he goes, you go first. He goes, we put one plate on each side and you go first and do 10 reps. He goes, then I do 10 reps. Then we put another plate on and you do 10 more and I do 10 more and another plate and then 10 more and 10 more. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you want, I'm thinking to myself, he wants to end with, he goes, oh, we go all the way to 10. And he goes, and I'm thinking to myself, he wants to end with 10 plates on each side for 10 reps on the 10th set. And I go, there's no way I'm going to finish that. And he goes, nobody finishes it. You just go as far as you can. He goes, you could, you're allowed to like straighten your legs and catch your breath. Right. And I was like, I go, I'm still not going to finish it. He goes, yeah, yeah, you just go as far as you can. So, so I get on there and I do 10 reps and I lock it. And then he does 10 reps and, you know, lock it. And then we, then we put another plate on each side. So we have two plates and I do 10 and I lock it again. And he goes, no, 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 you do 20 now. <laughs> I go, whoa. I go, we're adding 10 reps too. And he goes, yeah, I said do 10 more. And I go, I thought you meant like, just do another 10. He goes, no, 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 you do 10. And he goes, then when you do have three plates on each side, you do 30 reps. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. So I'm proud to say, you know, at that point in my training career, I was happy with it. I think I made it like, I think I made it to like, I don't know. I think I finished the 40 with four plates on each side. And then I made it like halfway-ish through uh, five plates on each side with, you know, I probably got like 25 reps. And I remember my legs were shaking so bad, but you know, there was something that definitely felt different with the ultra high reps and, and Jeremy, my God, he almost made it to 80, by the way. Um, <laughs> and he was a total freak, but then we went into our other training sessions and I, you know, we went into like squats after that and lunges and it was, it was way overkill. I'm going to say that it was like way too much, but the squats felt different after the very high reps. Um, I was definitely engaging muscle groups that I had not engaged and could not engage after, you know, just going in fresh. And it was definitely a, a rude awakening. And then I, I trained with Doug Miller one time. And I remember Doug, we started the workout with like uh, three sets of 30 on leg press. And then we went into everything else. And it's kind of like, I was like, man, these guys are just kind of doing this intuitively, you know? Um, and then it kind of started to all click and make sense, you know, like um, they're, they're, they're on to something here. And that was probably around like 2012, 2013, 2014. And then I was like, then I started taking a look at closer look at my own training and what I was doing with my clients. And that's when I was like, I got to overhaul some things. And sure enough, a lot of my clients just started making significantly better pro 
progress when I started stepping outside of the box and throwing these things at them and started taking much more of an effort to develop them as an individual athlete rather than just dictating, um, yeah. Hey, you do this, 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 and this. Yeah. Well, that's uh yeah. Crazy to think templates, <laughs> trying to get templates for a hundred reps. He, he almost absolute... made it to 80. He almost made it to 80. Uh, I don't even know, like you must've just felt so racked, like even like unracking the squat <laughs> afterwards, you're just like shaking under the load. I, I think I was, I think <laughs> at the time I was probably, I mean, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't terribly strong, but at the time I was probably squatting 350 pounds for a few reps at that point. But, but after that, I think I put on like 185 and it was like all I could manage. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change. Sign up today and let's revive stronger. But it's, yeah, it's, it's again, whether or not there's like, they've just in a sense it's when you get when i think about like an analogy towards like nutrition and you kind of have parameters you're mindful like he knows he needs to train hard in the gym like get a certain amount of volume and feel a certain way within his sessions but a lot of people intuitively or mindfully i guess did that with their nutrition towards the stage i think i remember like alberto nunez talking about some athletes in the past who are just like they wouldn't track that. Like people weren't tracking their macros back in the day to get to stage. They just re removed some rice or something. And they just like <laughs> yeah. continued to look in the mirror and they maybe didn't even weigh themselves. And they kind of got there and like, hopefully science can kind of refine what we're doing, but you don't want it to become restrictive. So then you follow prescriptive macros because I don't know, macro calculator sh shot this out. It's like, oh, I feel terrible when I eat only 40 grams of fats or whatever. And you never experiment, oh, 60 and drop my carbs. I feel a million times better. So I think that's, that's just it. you're playing the role of the coach really, really well. <laughs> well, and I try to do that, you know, and I mean, I, I'm for, like one of the first things and, and I, I, so recently I had a, a guy apply to work with me and like, he was like for the first time ever, he was not really happy with what I sent him. And I was like, you know, what seems to be the problem here? And he's like, I really need like you to tell me what time to eat, what foods to eat. Um, he's like, you know, with this training, he's like, you didn't really specify the rep tempos. And this was a, this was an advanced competitor. He competed multiple times. He'd actually won a show already. Um, and, um, and, uh, you know, he wanted rep tempos and he wanted, I gave intensity recommendations for, you know, like, but it was a wide, it was a wide scope. Right. And he's like, you didn't say which set to have which intensity. And I said, you know, I said, well, I want you to be able to make some of these calls. I want you to make the calls and then I want you to report back to me so we can learn from it and discuss like I, you know, like I do. 
And he's like, um, he's like, a coach needs to know their athlete. And I'm like, I'm not in your skin. You know, I'm not in your skin, you know, and, and it's interesting. We, we ultimately decided to part ways. It was like the first time that ever it happened. He was like in his application, he was telling me he'll do anything to go to the next level. And, you know, I was like, no, no athlete makes it to a professional level with disengaging mentally. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is no athlete in the world, bodybuilding, baseball, football, basketball. They do not disengage mentally to make it to that level. Um, you know, they're, they're coachable in the regard that their coach will show them new things and how to be better, but they have to be mentally engaged in the process and almost none more so than training, I, I believe. Um, and so it's like, you know, I, I, just a lot of the stuff. And then, and then I also coach, you know, I try to define what is the person's problem with their training. And so then sometimes if I feel like they're not progressing the way that I want them to progress, then I start saying like, all right, send me some videos. I do analyze videos too. I'm like, Hey, let's take a look at your, I, I do a lot of looking at back movement because that's where a lot of people struggle with this back movements, you know? Um, and so like, how do we engage just through different movement patterns? And so it's like, people are so obsessed with RPE and volume when I think those are some of the easier things to figure out for the individual RPE and volume, you know, when you're starting to get overtrained, you know, I mean, it's easy to tell somebody, Hey, you start to feel tired. You start to see some nagging injuries, you know, intensity in the gym doesn't come very easily anymore. Um, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You know, when you're starting to overtrain. So we just back it off a little bit and same thing with intensity. You know, it's like, we try to have most of the sets, at least for me, you know, a few sets to failure here and there, maybe some intensity techniques to go a little bit beyond failure occasionally. And then, you know, within one to three, one to four reps of failure. Um, but to me, those are the easy things. And it's like, we have this entire generation of lifters that are just hyper-focused on these like things. And I'm like, man, it's going to be so individual for you. It's hardly even worth debating. You know, this guy over here might be able to do 20 hard working sets per week and you can only do seven. You know, it's like, so why are you arguing with what everyone else should be doing? Like figure it out for yourself, focus on that. But then you can also like get better at your movement patterns. You can try to do things with your rep ranges to be able to facilitate. Like, I, I like that term. You said James Hoffman said mo motor morons. Yeah, it's like, yeah. And, and you can see it when someone tries to pose too, right? I'll have people send me posing videos 100%. and they just don't, they don't know. They, it's almost like they don't know how to control their body very well. And I'll tell them like, you know, I'll say things like externally rotate your shoulders or, you know, um, you know, engage your core. And if they can't do it very well, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a guy that needs a lot of high reps before we even move into anything. Like usually if I find somebody just in general can't control their body very well, they're going to get a lot of sets in the 15 to 20, 15 to 20 range, some sets in the 20 to 30 um, and some sets in the eight to 12 never going below eight, you know, um, then over the course of years, as they start to get better, then we'll maybe put some six rep sets in there and all that. It makes, makes a lot of sense. And uh, it's funny you brought up the posing. Cause I, I think there may even been a study on this where like hitting some bodybuilding posing enhanced the hypertrophy results that some like individuals saw. And I, I don't think that's like saying like you need like posing is going to do that for everyone, but for the person who doesn't know how to pose very well, if they get better at Oh, I can, like, I know when I tried to hit a front lat spread the first time, I was like, how do I even flare my lats? And I mean, I, I basically had yeah. no lats and it's like, now I can flare them. No problem. And yeah, I have some okay lats now. <laughs> isn't it, isn't it funny? Like the, um, 
when you're when you're new to bodybuilding learning to flare your last is like the biggest deal like it's so difficult to figure out and um but yeah i i i i just think that um you know training uh, training is such a skill um and people try to break it down to an equation um they, they try to break it down to an equation and it is not that it is such a skill uh it's when i say and there's varied and then there's varied skills within this larger skill you know do i know how to perform this rep do i know when to terminate this set it gets more like it starts micro and then it gets more macro right do i know how to perform a single effective rep and at what load do I know when to terminate this set? Do I know when to terminate this workout? Do I know when to take off days based on how I feel? And it's like, you know, for my interest as a coach and as an athlete, you know, cause I, I do have hopes of competing again one day is like always getting better and more skillful at what I'm doing. And, um, the, the, the debate over training equations is, um, misguided in my opinion you know it's my, it's misguided and i think it's it's energy and focus spent that could be spent elsewhere truthfully yeah i think it's uh i find it personally tough and i imagine some of the people listening who maybe feel like some of the stuff you're saying sounds uncomfortable to them i've got better with this as a, a trainee as an as a coach but i i love like like systems and like programs and like reasons for things and that sometimes can hold you back because you may make what sounds like a, a good reason for something. It sounds rational, but it might actually come out that, that that isn't why that was happening at all. You just made up some reason in your head or whatever it might be. And the same happens like nutrition and training. I don't know if you have someone in prep as an example, Cliff, and if you have that person who understands like, okay, I have some freedom here and they've gone, I don't know, they're like, their day was just crazy and their step count was like triple or something. Like if they're tracking yeah. it and they're like, man, I am wrecked. And they go and they're like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy like an extra, don't know, serving of whatever carbohydrate because duh, I need that today. Whereas you have the other person who's like, no, I stick to these parameters. I have to like abide by these rules and then they're wrecked and you have to, I don't know, try and kind of undo that kind of problem down the line. Same with like in the gym and making calls. They push for an extra rep. They get injured because they're like, oh, it said eight on the program. <laughs> I hit seven. I needed to get the eight versus the person's like, no, I've, I've got, I need to pull back. Well, and you you nailed it because I, I would say in my nature, I'm much more of a systems data tracking person. And um, I ha I've, you know, we, we kind of talked about it, I think, in, I think it was our last conversation where I talked about sometimes I kind of try to reinvent my own self-identity to something more effective. And I kind of purposefully worked on removing that I'm a data tracking guy from my core component and replaced it with. I'm somebody who embraces the nuance and the gray areas. And, um, you know, and it's funny because right before we jumped on this interview, I had, I was talking to a client and he'd gotten to the point where I handed him a program. And I do this sometimes um, where I hand them a program with sets and reps and movement patterns, but zero exercises. They choose all of their exercises. And so sometimes I give that to people too when they've reached that point. Yeah. And I say, you choose all of the exercises on this. I've given you some parameters to work within. And then he's like, well, on this one, it looks like, you know, maybe I should stick with the same exercise throughout to be able to track 
how I'm going to be progressing because of the way the reps were laid out. Right. And I said, that will make it easier. I said, but if you choose an exercise, that's just, you know, you try something and it's just garbage. And I know he's, he's got kind of got that data tracking core in him. Right. And I said, if you, if you choose an exercise and give it a week or two, and it's just, it's just garbage exercise for you. I said, I remember our goal is to have good workouts, not just track data. So I said, if it's crap, trade it out, you know, data tracking be, be damned, you know, trade it out for something that feels right, feels good, targets the muscle, even if you can't track it as well, <laughs> you know, um, start over. And he was like, Oh, he goes, that's going to be difficult. I'm like, yeah, it will be. I was like, you got, I was like, the point is I said, we're, we're, we're bodybuilding here. We're not data tracking. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that makes complete sense. Uh, because yeah, I know I actually had this discussion with Brian Minor where we're like discussing the idea of not needing to logbook and still seeing great results. Like you actually, the data doesn't give you the results. Like it's the principles of training hard enough, consistently enough with enough volume, recovering, progressively overloading. You can do that without actually tracking anything. <laughs> Some people might struggle to do that without tracking those things. I would struggle just like to go into the gym and do that. But there, are, we see it all the time with guys who are gaining muscle, just they just continuously train hard and apply themselves. Yeah. And, you know, Jeff Nippard tagged me in something recently where he was asking, like, uh, was it the line uh, leg curls? Yes. He tagged me in it and I kind yeah. of gave my response. And I think my response was very not popular because I was kind of <laughs> like, well, you know, oh, technical failure occurred at rep four, I think it was. And, but, you know, real life application, you probably want to go to rep 10. But, you know, in, in the end, I don't know, nitpicking that stuff, I often find it's like, you know, I, I'll put my money on a competitor that continually terminates a set too late rather than too early. Um, and, you know, those are the types of things like that's a skill, you know, that's a skill right there that he posted. It's like, um, you know, it doesn't even really matter where you tend to define the end of that set or, or where everybody continues to define the end of the set. It's where you define it and then just continue to do that and push yourself. And like, you know, I, I think that, I, it is much easier to have somebody with a high motor that you need to reel in a little bit because I would have somebody, I would rather have somebody that's training too hard on a day-to-day -day basis and then just give them extra off days or lower volume rather than somebody that's not training hard enough. And then you need to keep giving them more and more work because they're not training hard enough. Um, and it's just, once again, I, but I, the variance between individuals is just so insane. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I have some clients where it's like, they just live in the gym. They'll, they'll train hard for a good two, two and a half, three hours, maybe with some longer rest periods. Right. And then I have other clients where it's like 45 minutes and they're just cooked. So it's like, why am I going to debate what is best? Because, you know, like, look at this range we're working in here. I'm like, some people are like, how long should workout be? I'm like, I don't know, anywhere from 45 minutes to three hours. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, it's like, it, it, you know, you start with something that's a little bit more generic with people as a client, at least start with something that's a little bit more generic, and then we're going to just see how it feels. And, and, you know, it's funny, because even when I was, I told you that client, we decided to part ways after just the initial thing. And it's like, never happened. I just told him, I said, listen, I said, I know this is like the controversial thing to say, because a lot of coaches really pride themselves on like their startup packets and everything like that. And I said, you know, the first program I give you, the first diet I give you, they're going to be the least important ones I ever give you because this is just me guessing at what you need. Yes. Everything that comes there after is what I am basing off of what I've seen. So it's like this first one 
it's the least important one I'm ever going to give you. Yeah, I think that's that's so well said. That's something I frequently say as well, and I'm like, it sounds like such a bad sales tactic to tell <laughs> someone is. that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm I don't know you yet. Like, I'm not going to learn yeah. you until we've had our like frequent check-ins and we can stop kind of assessing your progress and things like this but like you know it is a terrible sales tactic because people want to be told i know i have the answer for you but what you're highlighting here is like and you'll see this especially on social media it's a terrible place for it where people will have like black and white defined this is the way to do it like i've got the holy grail this is how you grow the most muscle or whatever it might be follow this training program and like you've just alluded it like this just so many, some people will try it and it will work other people will try it and it really won't work because well, and a good coach is going to have options and tools available yeah you know and by the way so it's like i'll i'll throw this out here kind of a little plug for something i have coming up but um, I've been working the last several months. Um, I, you may not know him, but uh, with Austin Paulson, he's a, he's been a client of mine. He's I do know him. Yes, he's gotten to be a good coach too. He's really put some tough competitors on stage, and he's a good competitor himself. So I've been working with Austin Paulson for years. I've had people telling me to take on coaches underneath me because I always have more people working, and also you know not everybody can afford my prices and whatnot. So, but I hadn't really had it in me to like watch over and educate education is such a different thing than coaching it's just it just is and um austin convinced me to go for it and austin is really good at all uh, he's a good coach and he's like good at setting up systems and so we've been working over the last like several months and we have coaches underneath us now and um uh, we're actually like we have some people working i have some people coaches underneath me working with clients already and also i don't coach gen pop really so now i have people that can also do gen pop that are, I'm still using, you know, they're still using my principles and stuff like that. But anyway, the point that we're going to launch that in a couple of weeks, but the point that I was getting to is like, they were, you know, we were talking about like sales, you know, like when somebody applies for you and I'm like, man, I'm like the worst salesman ever. Sometimes people are like, what do you think you'll be doing with me? And I'm like, well, based off of this, I think we'll be doing this and this, but I don't really know until we get in there. And they're like, that's a horrible sales tactic. And I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, I've never claimed to be a great salesman. I'm like, you know, the best thing I'll always tell them is like, I'll do everything manageable as a coach to get you where you want to go. The tactics we're going to use could vary wildly based on what we're, what we're seeing. But yeah, they were kind of like, some of them were even asking me, you know, cause I have like, I have like four coaches that we're going to be having, you know, work with different populations and whatnot. And they were asking me like, well, what do you, you know, what do you do? Like what sort of sales tactics do you use when they reach out to me? And I was just like, oh man, it's not good. It's not good at all. <laughs> but, but you know what though? No, I think you get the right people that way. You know what I yes. mean? Like people that are really dedicated to it they they get it you know they're like hey this is good it's going to be a flexible thing rather than giving them some sales pitch yeah i think it's i i've had that where someone will be like where can i how much muscle could i gain in a year and i be like well i can tell you theoretically where you could be but i got no idea like actually no idea it could be double this it could be half this <laughs> like I, you just have, until you start working with them you have no idea do you so uh, if I think if someone is uh, promising a result, like they don't know, I, I can imagine people coming to you and be like, Cliff, if I sign up for, as, as your client, do you like guarantee I'll go pro? Like if you were to say yes, it's completely ridiculous. And if they don't think that is, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, 
and, and it is difficult. Like, I think that's one of the things too, when it comes to training and things like that is, um, you know, I, I, I've been, I don't know, since I got healthy, I've been on a tear. I, it doesn't look like, cause I haven't posted much on social media, but I've been working on so many things behind the scenes. So many that I'm hoping will have a bigger impact on the industry than like what I've done. Cause I've done things on a really small scale. I've only worked with this specific group of people and you know, I work, I don't work with a ton of clients compared to other coaches. Um, and so I've tried to set things up. And I think the thing that is, has been difficult though, with setting up these things like working with other coaches that work with other populations is trying to instill in people that um, don't get married to your tactics. You know, I, there've been things I've tried over the years that just didn't work out. You know, there've been things that um, I thought were really good, but maybe they're just pretty good. You know, And it's like, if you really, really want to be right, then you got to be willing to switch to the winning team immediately. Once something starts to show it's, you know, that way. And, and I used to, I used to consider myself a training. I used to consider myself a, a high volume guy. And then I was like, no, that's not effective. Like I'm, I need to be a guy that finds that right approach for the right person. And, um, you know, I think that there are certain principles that are usually effective in most cases, but then we've got to tailor it to that, that individual person. And so it, it's a hard thing to instill in people, but training wise, especially training, I think that's another thing too, is with training, everybody who walks into the gym and picks up a weight, they take pride in that. And I think you also see it, like even the average gym rats, not the guys that, you know, we're, we're talking to in this podcast, but you know, every gym you go to that, you go to the gym and every guy is giving everybody else advice because they think they've got the way. And I think that sometimes getting people to like branch out and try some new things is so hard. So, yeah. So that's, that's why I was trying to, trying to, I, I, I kind of opened up and I was like, all right, I'm ready to talk training. I'm ready to, who wants to argue, bring it on. Let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, you're essentially saying there's like, there's, if someone was to criticize something you were doing and said that it didn't work for them, do you, you would almost come back with them and be like, I can understand how this might not work for you, but it's working in this situation. Like it, there's some principles that both individuals could be picking on almost. So yeah, it almost comes down to, as long as you're not, I don't know, bozo ball squatting or doing something completely outside, outside the box. Like there's a lot for hypertrophy that can work. Yeah. And well, it's kind of like when I also, it reminds me similarly when I um, like first, started talking about doing the rapid backload peak with people. Some people are like, you know, that would make me look bloated and watery on stage. And I'm like, yeah, it may, <laughs> like that may do that to you, <laughs> you know, um, and, but I'm, but I'm doing it here and it's working, you know, and it's, it's yeah. kind of similarly. Um, and so uh, I think that once again, it just comes down to just sound principles with training. And um, I think people get so caught up. It's the classic can't see the forest through the trees. You know, it's like, I think we need to establish the forest first before we even start nitpicking the trees. Yeah. And I think also, it's like you mentioned there, like at the start of your career, as you start lifting, you're going to have to follow some probably quite prescriptive things, but you need to eventually, you probably, most people want to break away from those and discover their own route to progression. I, I even know that training myself, I'm still doing that, <laughs> still finding things where I'm like, oh, wow, like I can really handle a lot of volume here or wherever it might be. You just start learning these things as you go. Yeah. And, oh, and you, you nailed it too. And, and this is probably a topic for another day, but I think that there are like phases to training careers for how to add progressive overload is such a like wide ranging phrase, right? I mean, it's just 
if we're going to talk about what progressive overload is, it's just doing more work. So what does that look like? I mean, at the start of a training career, you know, years, maybe even one through one through five for sure, maybe even up to one through eight progressive overload and in simplest form is let's put more weight on the bar, right? That's, that's the easiest, most efficient way to progressive overload. But anybody who's trained over eight years tells you that after a while, I mean, those putting weight on the bar, it gets few and far between. Uh, I mean, trying to add any weight to a curl. I mean, if you talk in percentage of strength increase, if you try to add five pounds to a curl, that's a, a monumental strength increase from one week to the next. So, you know, you'd be hard to find pressed to find guys that are 10 plus years in the training and really added any notable weight to the, to the dumbbell curl. Um, and so it's like, you need to search for varied ways. So, you know, one of it may be intensity techniques or, you know, higher intensity to increase progressive overload volume increases are always a good go-to. Right. Um, and then I think that like, as you progress even further, then it's almost all, uh, improved engagement. You know, it's like, it's like, even if we look at like a dumbbell lateral for guys, so it's like, start off my career. Oh, I start off with like the 15 pound dumbbell laterals. And then I progress up to the, the thirties and the 35s. And then I'm just doing more sets of the 35s, maybe forties. And then you, they reach like year 12 or 15 of training. And they're like, yeah, I went back down to the 25s <laughs> because I actually learned how to do the right, the right. You know, I actually learned how to perform them even better. So it's like, even though the weight is lighter, if the tension is going to that target yes. muscle group, you have progressively overloaded because the muscle doesn't know how much weight is on the bar. It only knows how much tension it is on it. And so it's like, if you can put more tension there. So it's like, there's definitely this pattern of over the course of a career, you know, it's like progressive overload is adding weight, progressive overload is adding intensity and volume. Progressive overload is improving exercise uh, execution to increase tension. Yeah. Yeah, someone who immediately comes to mind is someone like Jeff Alberts. You just watch how this, like how he lifts. And it's just so mechanical, so thought out. He's clearly got like the tension exactly where he wants it to be. But he'd probably say like his loads didn't change that much in those last few years, but he still managed to gain because he's just controlling the loads so much better. Like you said, putting the tension where he wants it to be. Um, yeah, Cliff, this has been a great chat. I don't know if there's anything else you have on mind that you wanted to share about kind of training, but I think you kind of explained kind of your philosophies here in terms of like thinking outside the box a little bit, not being set to paradigms and kind of seeing, trying some different things, especially like the high rep ranges makes complete sense that people be able to be more able to control the loads with the muscles they're trying to kind of work. And I think if people are listening and they're like, I've never tried that. It's like, it's, it's, it's an evidence-based prescription as well. Like you said, high rep, but low training, uh, sorry, low load training, You as long as you train hard enough. Um, so yeah, you have to push through the discomfort, but so long as you do that, it's still a, a very evidence-based approach. Yeah, yeah. And and like you said, it, it is because there is research support it, support it in terms of not only the effectiveness of high rep training, assuming the intensity is high enough, but also the research showing that you can uh, be more mindful about what muscle group is actually um, taking on the tension with lighter loads as opposed to heavier loads. So it's it's definitely still science. It's, it's rooted in science. It's not like I'm just like throwing it at the wall and see what sticks. I think it's just a, um, a matter of once again, just trying to break out of the box of what people think, but no, I appreciate you letting me come on because like I said, it, it, you know, 
now that I'm feeling feisty again, I'm ready to go out there and talk about the talk about the controversial things in our industry, you know, like <laughs> high reps. <laughs> well, the, to be honest, they, there is a little bit of controversy here because um, Mike Mensah seems to be taking uh, like hold of people again for some reason. I think it's more on TikTok, at least that's what I've, I'm hearing is happening. So yeah, maybe uh, the, we are adding to the controversy here. And uh, yeah, you mentioned you've got your project that's going to be launching in a few weeks. So by the time this comes out, you'll probably be live where you'll have that coaching service available. Um, where should people yeah. head if they want to learn more about that? Yeah, you know, I, I've got a couple of things coming out. If you don't mind me just mentioning, I, I am. So I've got, I, I've never really worked with Gen Pop people and not everybody can afford my rates. So I did, I, I'm going to be taking on um, a few coaches underneath me. Me and Austin Paulson are doing that together. Um, we will also oversee what they're doing, but, um, and actually I'm happy to say, uh, one of the coaches is, uh, my ex-wife, Katie, uh, Katie and I have always stayed close even after, uh, we aren't married anymore. And she's a great coach and I got her to come back to coaching. So I was happy about that. Um, and she's, she's, you know, she's produced great results for like gen pop people. So we wanted to do that also for like make coaching affordable, but kind of like still the principles that I use with people. And then um, actually towards the end of the year, I mean, I know a lot of people are doing it now, but I'm going to be doing a training app kind of based around some of these things. Um, once again, for also even a lower price point, because I realized once again, not everybody can sure. afford a coach. Um, and so, you know, working on some of these things will kind of be, the principles will be based off of a lot of the programming that I use. So those are two things that in particular, I'm like excited about them coming out because um, I do you know, I spent a, quite a few years just coaching here when I wasn't feeling well and I was doing great with my clients and everything, but I've always kind of had that want to like still have a bigger impact across the industry. And you can only do that working. You can only do that so much working with, you know, 50 to 60 people at a time. So, uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to getting those things out there. And, um, the biggest thing, uh, for the, both of those things, when they come out, I mean, my Instagram is always going to be up to date with the things I'm working on, but also my website, uh, team Wilson, bb.com. Um, and uh, I'll have links to everything on there. Fantastic. Yeah, I'll make sure that's all linked below, and uh, that sounds uh, very exciting, especially the app as well. Like you said, there's there's a lot out there, but it's nice to have the choice, and even for, like you said, for someone who's interested in learning more about your training principles but can't necessarily afford coaching, it's a great way to get that experience uh, there. So awesome. I'll make sure that's linked below. Thank you again, Cliff, for your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it and we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You'll receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicup so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The minicup movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.